Hello and welcome to the Effective Living Podcast, a podcast for ideas, strategies, insights, and conversations, all focused on how to live a more effective and more prosperous life. Once again, I'm your host, Nathaniel Nunziante, and today's podcast is all about how to develop more self-control. So if there's any area of your life where you feel like you could benefit from having more self-control, whether it's in the physical realm, you know, eating, exercise habits, or in the mental and emotional realm, your temper, your anxiety, self-control plays a vital part in not only how effective and successful we can be, but also our overall experience. In fact, research indicates that people who have more self-control tend to be happier and have less anxiety. So in today's episode, we're going to look at some practical ways that we can start developing more self-control today. So we all start with some measure of self-control. Now, it's a skill and it can be developed over time, but like anything else, some of us start with more of it than others. But no matter how much of it we have to begin with, this is a skill that has to be developed. And the reason for that is that self-control has a way of affecting everything about our lives. In pretty much every area you can imagine, having more self-control is beneficial and having less is detrimental to our success, to our well-being, to our mental and emotional state. So this is something that we all need. The problem is that self-control is deeply connected to our emotions. We are all emotional beings. No matter how rational we try to be, the emotional is always present. And because that emotional state is so connected to self-control, it makes it really hard to develop. In fact, human beings consistently prove that we are emotional more than we are logical. Antonio Damasio is a neuroscientist, and he made a significant finding some years ago. He conducted research on individuals who had brain damage. Now, they appeared to be normal, but he discovered that they were incapable of feeling emotions. But that's not what was fascinating. What was fascinating was that all of the subjects who were incapable of feeling emotions had another trait that they all shared. They were also incapable of making decisions. They could rationally explain what they ought to be doing, yet they struggled to decide on even the most basic matters, like what to eat. They could explain the choice logically, but they could not actually make the decision. They could not take action. Emotions were determined, therefore, to be crucial at the time of decision-making. In fact, it's arguable that emotion always plays the leading role in the decision-making process, even when we think we're making logical choices. Now, this is a large part of the reason developing self-control is so difficult. So it's important that we understand that self-control is not about eliminating emotions because that's impossible. It's about developing the ability to pause long enough to allow our rational selves, our rational mind, to regain control before the emotional state can cause you to take action. And I know for myself personally that when I make emotional choices, when I act out of the way I feel on the impulse of the moment, it almost never turns out well. As, as a matter of fact, when my emotional self takes an action, it's my rational self that has to deal with the consequences, right? A great way that I like to visualize this is by acknowledging that there are two versions of me, right? So think about this. There's two versions of you. There's the current you, and then there's the future you. Well, when the current you makes emotional choices, the future you has to deal with the consequences. So self-control is a way of learning to be nicer to the future you. <laughs> this is actually a pretty funny thing, but on the show The Simpsons, 
um, there's a, a very famous scene where, you know, the wife tells the husband, Homer's his name, she says, you know, one day your kids are going to be grown up and you're going to regret not spending more time with them. And then Homer looks at her and says, well, that sounds like a problem for future Homer. Man, I don't envy that guy. And while this is obviously comedy and it's a funny joke, it's extremely poignant because he's basically saying that the me of today wants to do something else. The me of today wants to be indulged in a different way. I don't want to spend time with the kids right this second. And the me of today has no problem with that. The problem is the me of tomorrow, the me in the future who regrets not spending time. And he basically separates himself from that guy and says, man, I don't envy that guy. That guy is going to have a lot to deal with. So I, I guess the idea is we don't want to be like that, right? Let's not be like Homer. Let's be kinder to our future selves. Let's begin to develop more self-control so that we can be happier, we can be healthier, and we can be a more effective version of ourselves. And as it is the whole reason this, this podcast even exists, we're now going to go through some practical ways, some practical tips for how we can do that, how we can improve and develop our self-control. So tip number one, minimize temptation. We are simply not wired to successfully resist our temptations and our impulses constantly, okay? We do all have some share of self-control or willpower, if you want to call it that, but it is limited. It's not in, in, it's in short supply. So developing it will increase it, but its strength is never going to be available 24-7. It's like any muscle. So the best way that we can instantly start having more self-control is by managing our surroundings and limiting how much we need to access it. Consider someone trying not to drink alcohol anymore, right? How often do they come up against the opportunity to drink? Well, that depends on their choices, right? If somebody quits alcohol, but then every day after work, they go to the bar with their friends to hang out, they're gonna have to resist the urge to drink alcohol every single day because the temptation is right in front of them. So even if that's once a day, that's once a day, 30 times on average a month, so 30 times a month, they have to resist it, right? Now what if they also have a bar in their house and all the alcohol is out because their wife also likes to drink and they keep it out on the table? Well, now the, the 16 times throughout the day, they walk past it, they have to resist it. So now it's 16 times during the day, it's the bar at night. When you add it all up, this person is having to resist drinking alcohol hundreds of times per month. But now let's say they, they didn't go to the bar and they removed that alcohol station. They got rid of it so they couldn't see it anymore. Well, now the temptation to drink is going to come up a lot less. So instead of resisting it hundreds of times, maybe they're only resisting it five or six times a month when it, when it happens to come up. It takes a lot less control, a lot less willpower to resist something five times than it does 300 times. So by simply making the choice to minimize that temptation, you know, that, that visual trigger, you are gaining more self-control overall because you're accessing it less. I actually know someone who played video games a lot and it was so much that it was affecting their marriage. And they were able to eliminate the constant need to play by simply putting the game system in their closet. I think it was the closet, but they, they took it off the table. They made it so that they couldn't see it. So every time they walked past their TV in the living room, they didn't see the game system. And the thought to play came up less. It was easier to resist because they didn't have to resist it so much every single day. There's uh, another research study of soldiers, United States soldiers, who became addicted to drugs while they were overseas. And it showed that about 90% of them stopped using the drug once they returned home. 
the reason that's interesting is that when people who live here are addicted to drugs and then they go to rehab, when they return home, 90% of them eventually start using again. And the reason for that is the temptation, the triggers. The people that were overseas and dealing with the stress of war and in that environment, all the triggers and all the temptation that led to using those drugs, once they come home, they're not there anymore. So it's much easier to resist. But the people that leave their house and go to rehab, once they finish rehab and come back home, they return to the same world they were in where all the temptations are, where all the triggers are. So it's not, not inevitable, but it's very, very difficult to resist because of how much they have to resist. That's why people who come out of rehab that either change their environment, move to a different place, or completely redo their environment, they'll have more success than people who just return to the same world that they were in, the same visual experience, the same emotional experience before they ever went, okay? So... The first tip, again, for developing more self-control is to minimize how much of your existing self-control you need to access on a daily basis so more of it is available for other things. Tip two, measure yourself. There's an old saying that I agree with wholeheartedly, and it's what's measured gets managed. It's simply hard to know how you're doing if you have nothing to compare it to. Becoming familiar with your behaviors over time and measuring them will make it easier for you to notice when you're drifting off course. Now, one of the best ways to do this is to write it down, right? To keep a, a journal of your daily progress when it comes to self-control, how you feel about things, how you've been progressing. If you have some setbacks, you can write those down, reflect on them, figure out a plan to remove more of those triggers and temptations to make it easier on yourself. Whatever it is, the point is that you want to be able to manage and sustain the development of your self-control over time. And the best way to do that is to take regular measurements. The same way on a ship, they are constantly checking their course to make sure they haven't drifted off, right? Uh, did you know that if the rudder of a ship, right, the rudder, which is what controls direction, if that's off by only one or two degrees, well, then after a few days of sailing, you will be hundreds of miles off of your destination because of a one or two degree shift in that rudder. So do you understand it's very important to take constant measurements so that they know, oh man, we're drifting off. We're heading the wrong direction. We've, we've veered off course and then they can make those adjustments to get back on course before they're hundreds of miles off course. So the same in your life, if you're not measuring, right? If you're not somehow looking at your progress and considering how far you've come and where you are, you may just blindly keep moving forward and then find that you're way off course and you're fall into old habits and you're doing the same things you did before and it's, it'll happen before you know it. You'll be like, oh my God, how did I get back here? How did I regain all this weight? How, my temper is right back where it was. I, I don't even know how it happened. Yes, because you weren't looking for it. You weren't looking at it, okay? So come up with some way to measure yourself, whether it's journaling, it could be anything, but you have to take constant measurements. Tip number three, proactively reduce your stress overall. Proactively reduce your stress. Stress and anxiety make it much harder to have self-control. So by simply reducing these things, you can make yourself more capable of controlling yourself. Your brain is a muscle and your body is a system of muscles. And right, what's the rule of all muscles? When they are tired, they are less capable of withstanding stress. They are less capable of carrying weight. Now, exercising and improving your diet will improve your cognitive function in the mind 
and your physical strength in the body. This makes you more capable of demonstrating self-control. Sleeping also plays a big role. People who sleep a consistent seven to eight hours a night report being less stressed and anxious than people who do not. Really, it all comes down to energy. We have a limited supply of energy each day to use. But when you make yourself stronger, it means that you'll require a smaller percentage of your available energy to accomplish the same task, to accomplish the same level of self-control. So by proactively reducing physical and mental and emotional stresses overall, well, that's a great way to get a self-control boost because by being stronger in your mind, by being stronger in your emotional state and your mental state, everything that you have to carry will just suddenly be less heavy. And not because it actually became less heavy, but because you're stronger and you're capable of carrying more. So proactively reduce the stress and anxiety that currently exists in your life and you're gonna realize, wow, I'm suddenly stronger and more capable when it comes to self-control. Tip number four, you wanna create a silent ledge. What this is, is basically a five to 10 second activity that allows you to get conscious control back when you feel emotional, okay? It could be something as simple as counting in your head as you know, taking a few breaths, reciting a phrase in your mind, or, or literally biting your tongue. I don't know if you know this, but the, the phrase bite your tongue comes from the activity of actually putting your teeth on your tongue and biting it when you're about to say something you think you might regret. So it doesn't matter what you use as this silent ledge. What matters is that it's something you do deliberately to reset your mind to be the deliberate version of yourself and not the automatic version of ourselves. Remember, we're emotional beings. And there's a part of our brain, the amygdala actually, that responds with our fight or flight mechanism to either act quickly and run away or act quickly and fight. And that, that aspect of ourselves happens automatically. So we want to do something, to pause long enough to give our rational, conscious mind back control so we can make a deliberate decision instead of just reacting, okay? So this silent ledge, it can be whatever you want, but it's something that you want to start teaching yourself when I feel emotional, when I'm about to say something I regret, when I'm about to do something I'll regret, when I'm about to just react, do this thing instead. And it could be as simple as just five, four, three, two, one, just in your mind going, Four, three, two, one. Just by deliberately counting, you need the part of your brain that's deliberate in order to do that. So you're, you're hitting that switch and you're saying, no, 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 don't, don't go on autopilot. I'm going to decide what I do next. It could be anything that you want, but you have to create something, some mechanism so that it's like kind of a, a last, you know, Hail Mary attempt to stop before you say or do something that future you is going to have to deal with the consequences of. Tip number five. Forgive and learn. You are going to have setbacks. Winston Churchill said, success consists of going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. <laughs> You're going to have setbacks. You have to prepare yourself for that. But the best way to move forward after a setback is to forgive yourself first, to know it's okay. It's okay that I did that. I'm going to I'm going to let it go and I'm going to move forward. I don't want this thing to hold on to me. I have to keep moving forward free of it. You have to have a good attitude. Attitude is the key to self-control. And without forgiveness, you will not be free to let go of the past, which will affect 
the attitude of your present. And that present negative attitude will bring you down. It will pull you backward instead of allowing you to move forward. So when you have setbacks, forgive yourself and then learn from them so you can move forward. Tip number six, prioritize the need for self-control. There's a concept called ego depletion, which basically means that we have a limited amount of self-control, right? And once we use it all up, it's gone until we rest. That means that it's very, very smart, especially at the beginning, right, when you're first starting to work on this, that you prioritize what you need self-control for. If your biggest self-control issue is your temper, and that's the highest priority, right? Because you're hurting your family, you're hurting your friends. Then don't ask yourself to also start a new diet and a new workout routine and cut out video games and stop watching TV, you know, blah, blah, blah. Don't ask yourself to do those things all at the same time. You're going to burn through all of the available self-control you have and all of the willpower you have. You're going to be completely depleted. And then later that evening, when you come up for the need for some self-control to not have your angry temper explode, you won't have any left. Then you're going to blow up and you're going to feel even worse than you normally do because now at least you're trying to avoid it, right? You're trying to build up more strength. You're going to even feel like more of a failure and it's going to make it even harder to forgive, forgive yourself. You still should, but it'll make it harder. So start small, okay? Prioritize your needs for self-control. Start on the things that need the most self-control first, Start small and then build from there. Consistency is far more important than quantity when developing anything, and especially when developing self-control. So be consistent, small, consistent efforts every single day. At the end of a few months, a few years, you'll be much further than if you try to just do everything at once. And finally, tip seven. This is actually my favorite tip because it's something that we can do really proactively immediately, and I've tried it and it works amazingly in any, any area you can use this in, and this will work. Delayed gratification. Overall, our sense of happiness and peace is linked to the skill of delayed gratification. This has been researched. Delayed gratification basically is the ability to not indulge an impulse, to not do something right now that you want to do, and instead hold off so that the future you could have that gratification, right? So it's delaying the present. It's, it's allowing the present to be denied something so that the future you can have something even better. Now, in the 60s and the 70s, right, a psychologist named Walter Mischel did a famous study called the Marshmallow Test. And basically what this was, was he would put children in a room and he would offer them a marshmallow. But then he would tell them, if you eat this marshmallow now, that's fine. Or you cannot eat it and then... In 30 minutes, I'll give you two marshmallows. And then he would leave and just let them be in the room alone with the marshmallow. Now, the majority of children ate the one marshmallow. They, they maybe tried for a couple seconds, they thought about it, or a few minutes, but eventually they ate the marshmallow. They weren't able to delay gratification. They would rather have one marshmallow right now than two later. But a percentage of the kids, right, were able to delay. They were able to wait until the two marshmallows arrived. And what he found when he tracked those students is that those kids that were able to delay gratification were much higher academic performers in school and had much more success overall as adults. So the great thing about this is that it's not hard to start practicing it immediately, right? And here's how you do it. 
The next time you have an urge for something, and it could be as simple as a cookie, just hold in your hand and say, I'm not going to have this now, but I'll have two cookies tomorrow. And then put it down. Now, look, if you're really fighting with this capability and you are addicted to sugar or something and you can't make it to tomorrow, then just do it for an hour. Say, I'm not going to eat this cookie right this second. I will eat two of these cookies in an hour. So the point is not the duration. The point is to proactively start teaching yourself to wait when you have impulses and to delay the satisfaction or the gratification that you want. This will help speed up your building of self-control. And it's great because you're not entirely cutting out the thing that you want. You're just putting it off. You're just teaching yourself that your urges do not have to be satisfied immediately. Over time practicing this, you'll realize that you are less and less impulsive. You'll realize that you can go longer without satisfying an urge. And look, I'm not saying that every urge is a positive one and every impulse is fine. You should just delay it. There's some impulses that you want to wipe out completely. But the principle here is that you just want to get better at not being impulsive, not acting immediately when, when any feeling you know, crops up or any thought crops up, you want to be able to put it off. So instead of just cutting it out cold turkey, start using some of these things that crop up and say, you know what, I'll let myself do it tomorrow. I'll let myself do it in three hours. Just teach yourself, I can wait. I can wait until the future. And then reward yourself for waiting. And over time, you'll be able to withstand longer periods of time before you're rewarded. And eventually the period of time will be so long, you'll have time to think, do I really even need the reward anymore? Uh, you know what? Now that it's been a day, two days, three days, I don't even think I need that cookie. I'm okay. I had a delicious salad today. You get what I'm saying? So that's where you want to start. And by practicing delayed gratification, you're going to make yourself more capable of self-control in every other area by practicing this. Okay, so to quickly recap, we went over seven tips. Tip number one, minimize temptations. We are simply not wired to successfully resist impulses constantly. So minimize how much of your existing self-control you need to access on a daily basis so more of it is available for other things. Tip number two, measure yourself. What gets measured gets managed. If you want to be able to manage and sustain the development of your self-control over time, you have to keep regular measurements. And the best way to do that is the same way they do it on a ship, constantly checking their course, making sure they haven't drifted off. So whether you use a journal or anything you can come up, you just need to keep an eye on it daily so that you know how you're progressing. Tip number three, proactively reduce other stresses. Stress and anxiety make it much harder to demonstrate self-control all around. So by proactively reducing the physical, mental, and emotional stresses, that's a great way to get a self-control boost instantly. Tip number four, create a silent ledge. When you're about to be emotional, you want to reset your mind to be the deliberate version of yourself, not the automatic version. So you want to create a five to 10 second activity that allows you to get conscious control back when you're feeling like you're about to react emotionally. Tip number five, forgive and learn. Attitude is the key to self-control, and without forgiveness, you're never going to be free to let go of the past, which will affect your present attitude and bring you down. So learn to forgive yourself and move on using what you've learned from the setback to prevent it or minimize it going forward. Tip number six, prioritize the need for self-control. You have a limited amount of self-control and you will experience ego depletion if you burn through it too quickly. Consistency is far more important than quantity when developing anything. So make sure you are prioritizing your need for self-control so you don't waste it 
on too many small things and then not have enough left for the big things. And tip number seven, practice delayed gratification. Proactively start teaching yourself to wait when you have impulses and delay the satisfaction or the gratification that you want. This will help speed up the building of your self-control. This will also increase your overall sense of happiness and peace and will increase how much you can do and how far you can go before you get too tired, before your ego is depleted. We can all use more self-control. Each of us needs more than others in some areas and in some areas less than others. But regardless of what you need it for, self-control is a strength that is directly tied to your happiness and your effectiveness as an individual. So follow these tips and start developing more self-control right now. I hope you found this helpful. If you did, please subscribe to the Effective Living Podcast for updates when more episodes are released. Also, share it on social with friends and family. It's available on all platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at theeffectivelivingpodcast.com. Again, that's effectivelivingpodcast.com. I really want these insights and conversations to help as many people as possible, so please do send it to someone today if you think they might enjoy it. Until next time, stay out of harm's way. I'm Nathaniel Nunziante, and this is the Effective Living Podcast. <laughs>